Hi, it's Shabri Bird again, Quantum Agriculture. Today we're sitting in Fry Vineyards and we're talking again with Rory Turnbull, um, one of our favorite young associates uh, coming along the Quantum Agriculture Trail. So welcome, Rory. Glad to be here. You're on, Beather. He's here to talk about his experience about medical marijuana growing, the science of it, and the science of what the plant is. Now. Well, um, I mean, I guess the first thing I could start with is, I mean, if you think the kind of chemical marketing agriculture industrial complex is bad in the regular farming community, it's pretty much tenfold in the cannabis farming community. And I mean, the, the intensiveness with the resource consumption and the, the level of kind of the, pretty much the, the, the waste, the amount of water that's wasted. And, and there's a lot of, you know, very redundant applications of a lot of very expensive and kind of precious resources and so um, I think there's a huge potential for that market and that industry to start farming you know more responsibly let alone the fact that they're uh, a lot of them their, their intention is to produce you know a medicine or something that's supposed to be you know healing and therapeutic for people and um, there's a, a lot of uh, questionable ingredients and practices that are going in to that community and so that's kind of what my mission and goal is is to help kind of bring them down to earth essentially in terms of you know not only the scale of the agriculture because traditionally it's been such a kind of you know uh, gray area even even when it first became legal it was such a gray area that it's kind of been this kind of small scale boutique kind of farm thing and now you've got these guys that are trying to take those techniques and methodologies and apply them to broad acre farming and so it's uh you know really making sure that they they have an understanding of the, the reality of you know of the resource consumption and the um especially given with the the way the market's going the the, the price is coming down on the crop you know these people used to be getting a lot more for the for what they were growing because there wasn't as many people doing it and so now the price is coming down and so they're finding that they're the, the efficiency of, of what they're doing is a, is a huge factor and then let alone uh, the, the quality end of it and how, how big of a, an impact the, the way they're farming can uh, well, What is the end. difference between a medical marijuana? Because this is a question Australia is now legalizing medical marijuana. It's going to be quite limited. We know people that are hemp growers for oil mm -hmm. and they, they're always asking us who, what organic, or at least I talk to them, what organic growers do you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of it depends on water in, in Australia. Right. But so what's the difference between, I want you to describe mm -hmm. to me because I know you know, and, and remember a lot of farmer friends of ours are going to be listening to this, greatly intrigued about a potential for, their, for something besides starving as a wheat farmer. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, really, the, the I think there's a huge misconception about the fact that a industrial cannabis plant and a medical cannabis plant and even a recreational cannabis plant are different, you know, species or genotypes. They're actually that division is pretty much a, a political thing because um, the you know there's it's, it's up in Oregon where I am right now. There's a lot of hemp farmers that are concerned about the medical farmers and vice versa because the the hemp varieties they're federally approved for cultivation, whereas the medical varieties are only approved on a state level. And so if you want to grow industrial hemp for industrial purposes and be able to ship it across the country, it can't 
qualified. And this is for hemp seed oil, fabric. Hemp seed oil, fabric. Um, honestly, pretty much anything you can make out of petroleum, you can pretty much make out of cannabis. Down to um, you know composite uh, materials like plastics and uh, solvents, lubricants, abrasives, and you know, a really, really wide range of, of chemicals and materials can all be processed from them fairly uh, in relatively simple uh, processes. Um, but the, the same thing is that um, there's kind of a misnomer because a, a lot of the people think that the medical cannabis is only with CBD varieties because there's... Which is CBD means? Cannabidiol. And okay. so, because there's many different cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. THC is the one that most people are familiar with. It's the psychoactive one that gets you high. Extra hydrocannabinoid. And there's also uh, uh, cannabidiol, but there's also uh, cannabichromine, uh, cannatetro, uh, uh, THCV, there's uh, CBN, you know, there's, there's basically, I think, about 80 different cannabinoids total that they've mapped, and there's even more that they have yet to discover. Um, and and are they in every plant, or? It, there's different levels in every one. THC okay. and CBD are the main two, and I believe there are, uh, there's a few others that are very common, but ones like uh, THCV is, uh, it's really popular in Israel right now in the medical research there with, uh, it's actually been shown to, um, has major potential in helping with brain damage, actually helping heal people's uh, brains, basically. And there's also... And what, um, what part of that is that, again, it's specific... Name again? Uh, that's THCV. Is it in the V is for? Uh, I believe it's tetrahydrocannabivarin. Okay. It's, uh, I'm just trying to. So it's it's uh, it's basically THC with a little extra arm on there. But and how does that arm get there? Um, through synthesis of the plant, uh, the the oh, plant no. basically makes it, it starts with CBG, which is what they call it the stem cell cannabinoid, because it basically the plant makes CBG. And it produces various sets of enzymes to produce to turn CBG into other cannabinoids, and so they basically start with similar chemical pathways and then get transformed into other ones. And so, um, so the seed actually becomes the most valuable part of the crop. Uh, it can be definitely because I mean, there's really the there's it's kind of hard to to put it all on a, on a pedestal really because I mean. The cannabinoids are extremely useful medicinal um, because there's a lot of research now going into the fact that human beings and a lot of vertebrate animals actually have what are called endogenous cannabinoid systems, where your body actually produces a lot of these cannabinoid-like compounds and uses them for various metabolic things going on in your body, which is why cannabis has such an impact on our biochemistry. But then you also get into the fact that the seeds have a very high-quality complete protein along with a almost ideal essential fatty acid uh, ratio for human consumption. It's got about a two-to-one ratio of uh, omega-3 to omega-6. I was, I was having colon difficulty oh, a few weeks ago, and my chiropractor, who's an acupuncturist, he recommended that I started using hemp oil. Mm -hmm. And I did, and immediately it corrected itself. I mean, yeah. within days. Yeah, the the omega-3 fatty acids are some of the most powerful anti-inflammatories around, which is also just kind of a... Uh, a synergist because the THC and uh, other cannabinoids are also very powerful anti-inflammatories. And so, then how come you could be, and I'm sorry for my ignorance, but I think there are several farmers out there that are going to ask these same questions. So I'm asking for everybody. How, how can you grow hemp for fabric and everything else and it not have THC 
or it's, it's minimal to how to say how do you that's like I, like I was saying earlier really the only distinction between the varieties is it's a political thing and so as soon as a, a hemp variety uh, what what constitutes a hemp variety is 0.3 percent or less THC anything 0.3 percent or over is now marijuana or cannabis so it's all done in the hybridization of it then yeah. exactly and so that's a huge misnomer I try to work with with the farmers up north in Oregon where I'm at is because a lot of the high THC medical farmers are uh, rallying against the hemp farmers because they say that their low THC variety is going to pollinate their high THC variety, which is true. But at the same time, there's uh, there's nothing really saying that uh, there's no reason why a high THC variety couldn't be grown for a medical, uh, or for, excuse me, for an industrial purpose. You know, you, all, all the the seed oils, all the the, the hemp hurt, the, the stock and everything. It's the same kind of thing. So, in, in other words, if you had a textile or paper mill and you were deconstructing the plants mm -hmm. to get the fiber out of them, then you would have to also handle all the other proteins and oils and and all of those fractions, mm -hmm. so that the bigger your plant, the more you would get these tiny fractions and isolate and purify. Mm -hmm. So, if you had actually uh, high medical uh, crop, then the processing plant would process all the medical parts out and still have the, the fiber and so the things that you make paper and, and cloth out of would be a byproduct of the medical processing. Exactly. And also too a lot of the, the some of the main components of these high THC medical varieties are what are called the terpene or the, the essential yep. oil group, yep. and a lot of those have major industrial applications. I mean, the the, the sure, and varnishes, varnishes, and glues, and all those sorts of things. You know, when when um, originally Britain colonized America, that was the first thing they were looking for: the straight-masted trees. I mean, the straight trees for their mast and hemp for their ropes mm -hmm. because that's how they took over the world was through the navy and through the ropes and so america became the hemp nation in effect yeah, and I think to grow hemp for the for the for the shipping well, to build, i think the constitution or at least maybe the declaration of independence was written on hemp paper mm -hmm. with uh lack of it with yeah, mm -hmm. but we did but and, and the and that so that whole I mean all of our first presidents grew hemp. Definitely, no, the yeah. country was found. I mean, as far as I know, the first cannabis law was actually enforcing, was mandating that it be grown. That's right. If you got land, you had to grow hemp. Mm -hmm. In in into a hearse with his yellow journalism. Yeah. Exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's, because what's interesting is it, because it's it's such a multifaceted product of you know, paper and chemicals and medicine all those things it was really kind of a, a a band of these really powerful individuals that kind of all came together because it was in their interest to keep it illegal and because it wasn't just person <laughs> also the, the dupont had just patented a lot of petroleum processing on, yeah and so there was the a nylon rope industry uh, uh if it didn't have hemp to compete with then it had the whole market exactly so so to so, go on go ahead yeah. Go ahead, ask your question. No, I mean, I just, I want to hear what more you have to say. Um, well, uh, and then, so, basically, so, the, the medical varieties, um, there's, uh, I mean, 
Because personally, myself, I find that nutrition is a huge, you know, prevention is a huge part of medicine. And so that's kind of what's pretty amazing about this plan, I find, is that it's got some a really high value nutritional profile from the seeds. You know, these essential fatty acids are some of the most lacking things in a lot of American people's diet, particularly. Um, and then actually, it's got a really good mineral content, like a phosphorus and zinc and uh, good manganese, with good levels in the seeds. Um, and so, from a nutritional standpoint, it's, it, you know, it helps build people's immune systems and helps keep them healthy. But then also, these uh, these cannabinoids they're finding are just some of the most amazing you know, uh, drugs, essentially, for treating various ailments and illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so exactly, epilepsy is one of them. Well, I think one of the reasons it was outlawed was because it does cure cancer. Yes. That's, that's, that's a, a very important component capacity of it that's, that's yet to be said. Uh, apoptosis is the, the, the medical term, but it, it's basically programmed cell death, and uh, THC is actually a, a very powerful agent for inducing apoptosis in cancer cells. So it actually literally tells the cancer cell to basically destroy itself. And then there's a synergism yeah, where... You don't fit, so you get out of here. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the CBD, which is actually found to be a more powerful antioxidant than vitamin E or vitamin C, um, actually prevents that, that ruptured cancer cell from, from spreading or forming another, because sometimes it can rupture and die, but then it can just form another cancer yeah, cell. Yeah, and maybe a different type of cancer. And so the, there's a, a synergism <coughs> between the various cannabinoids that work, and so you get a lot of the pharmaceutical industries trying to, you know, isolate just pure THC, and they're not getting the same efficacy of, you know, a whole plant extract that's got all of the, the, the terpenes and the various... Right. So, so even in even in Australia now, I mean, I've been given tubes of medical marijuana oil that are so thick. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what it does with pain. Mm-hmm. Cheap, not a bit. Yeah, and um, so that's the future where that's going to go in Australia. Mm-hmm. You know, and so now people. I mean, we have farmers call us all the time. Well, how can I? Or you might not talk to them because you're out of town a lot, but I do. I said, I'm waiting to record Rory. <laughs> and, and so here you are. So tell them what to start with and how to do it. Well, what is and then Hugh's going to add in about the biological, and then Hugh and Luke are going to add in about the BD. Well, <laughs> the legislature, it, it's kind of working through dogmas about the THC. Because a lot of people aren't even really aware that THC actually has medical benefits. Everyone's kind of caught up on the CBD, which is, uh, it's non-psychoactive, so it's much easier for legislators to... To approve it, and it's also a very powerful medical compound. So, um, but right now, currently in the United States, at least, it's not scheduled. It, uh, you know, it has no scheduling as far as the the DEA goes and things like that. So, um, you can grow industrial hemp varieties that have low THC but are high in CBD. And so, it's actually it's a, in that sense, it's a pretty universal crop in the sense that you can grow, get the, the fiber from the stalks, but then actually extract the CBD. From it, and, sh- and that's totally legal to ship all around. Value-added product, exactly. <laughs> and because, and that's wow. one of the, the the contingencies I believe they're dealing with right now is that if you're gonna get, you know, say someone in Tennessee wants to order CBD, it has to be extracted from American-grown hemp, or at least from approved European varieties, which is where the, the high price comes in. And so there's a lot of farmers now looking at the the industrial hemp crop as. Um, Kind of a tertiary step into the medical Okay, process. that's why the the hemp oil grower. We met him. You know him. You, I, I met him down at at Starseed. Um, 
called me up and says, who, what organic farmers can you lead us to to grow hemp for their oil business? But that, as you said, that's a step towards becoming... Exactly, because yeah. there's a misnomer, because some people, if they say hemp oil, they might be talking about the seed oil, or they might be talking about the cannabinoid oil. There's two different... Yeah, well, I mean, they're selling it legally, oils, in the chiropractor's office, mm -hmm. so um, pulled the pain out of the colon like that, mm -hmm. just instantly. Um, and cured it. That's the thing. It was curative. Besides, so that so that's so that's, so that's what it is. So we start now uh, suggesting the farmers they start growing commercial hemp. Exactly, commercial hemp varieties that are rich in CBD or cannabidiol. And because I'm not sure about Australia's legislation, but it's it's pretty universally accepted. You know, it's not really because it's not psychoactive, so there's not really any reason for it to be outlawed as far as the big league are concerned. So if you're going to do the 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 medical oil. Then you're going to have a value-added product of the fiber, exactly. and if you do the fiber, you're going to have the value-added product of the oil. Exactly. How do you extract the oil? It's different. Different people do different things. Uh, CO2 is a popular extraction method because it doesn't. Um, this CO2 becomes a solvent only when put under extreme pressure and temperature, and so uh, they basically uh, have these large machines that pressurize the CO2, turn it into a solvent, and then extract the CBD, and then as soon as it gets brought back... Extracting out, it from? From the... Well, you press the stock? Through, through the, the pressurized... Exactly. It's essentially, they put it through a chamber, and then mm -hmm. they run this solvent through it, depending on the extraction years. So break down the fiber of the stock. the plant. Yeah. Okay. And then you press it into a cake, and then you're extracting that cake. Mm -hmm. Kind it. of like a, like a tincture, you. like you use alcohol to Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so, but in this sense, they're using uh, CO2, which is much cleaner than some of the other solvents that can be something mm -hmm. that is hexane or things like that. Yeah. So you want to make you sure. You Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's almost like make sure moonshine, you know. <laughs> so now, so, so I, I'm really beginning to understand now a lot more that you're explaining this. Um, I'm just imagining myself as a farmer that really wants to, to do this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they are growing this fiber. So then it becomes important the variety of the seed you have. So can you progress, say, from a, a hemp grower fiber and get another seed? Or do you, you know, how do you get those seeds that grows you, takes you towards that? Well, that is the thing. There, there needs to be a lot more breeding done. I mean, because it's, there, there are some, you know, like uh, Finland and Romania and you know, a few different places have been, you know, they've been breeding hemp for a while, but they're kind of, acclimated to those climates and, and then what they're particularly going for, you know, they might be going north of the stock or through this or that. And so um, I think that there's a huge call for people uh, in Australia or in America to start breeding varieties that are adapted to their climate, but also can fill all these uh, benefits that they, you know, they need to get a good stock on it for the, the fiber and also getting a good, uh, leaf to calyx ratio so you get good uh, seed production from the high levels of seed mm -hmm. um, and then even uh, I, I definitely have found that a lot of the low thc varieties also are low in the terpenes and the essential oils and so those could be bred back into it because those all have you know, various industrial applications you know that flax originally flax was the fiber of europe mm -hmm. in the ancient times and how it was prepared to be made into fiber was it was put the stalks into ponds and fermented. The bacteria in the ponds broke down the fiber. And they had, I mean, two or three days 
I mean, it's just another possibility besides CO2 that, to put it through some kind of fermenting the, process. down the rest of the leaf and let that wash out of the fiber. I think they were also using the stalks, too. I think they were taking the stalks, mostly. Of course, but in order to get the fiber out of the stalk, you had to digest the rest of the stalk. Exactly. And that was done through these pond bacterias that, you know, break it down. Yeah, it's, it's pretty phenomenal how low tech it is to the process. It could be. I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm sure on a large scale it would take a bit, but... Um, but I mean, like the, the redding process is very simple. I mean, they pretty much just soak them in water, and then you literally just hit the stalk yeah. against a piece of wood, and then all the other fiber flies. Oh, out so then we can also experiment with which fermenting agents beyond exactly. the the seeds. So so procuring seeds is obviously one that's going to be quite interesting, and then hybridizing these seeds exactly. is the next level. Then the next level I we want to get into is what's the difference, since most of it in this country has been raised hydroponically, I guess I'll call it something else, but being biodynamic, you know, it's the soil and the atmosphere connected, so hydroponically just doesn't compute in my mind that that's real. Yeah. It's just chemical. It have to be. So what, tell me about that, because that's well, where we're going next. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, like I was saying earlier, I think a lot of the... the People that even think they're growing in soil are technically growing hydroponically because their their soils are pretty much inert mediums, and the majority of the nutrition is being supplied ionically or solubly through the, the fertigation. And so that's so true. And so you get a um, and I think a, a huge issue actually is the, the lack of the silica. I mean that's obviously a huge factor in biodynamics, but um, even. Beyond that, uh, if, if you actually look on Wikipedia, cannabis is listed as a dynamic accumulator of silica. So it actually has a very strong affinity for absorbing silica. And most of these farmers are growing in peat moss or coconut choir yeah. or something. Basically, parent material has no silica whatsoever. And so you'll notice in a lot of these hydroponic stores that uh, potassium silicate or orthosilicic acid are probably two of the most popular supplements that people are supplementing with their cannabis. <laughs> um, I mean, it, and, you know, aside from the, the lack of silica, there's also a huge use of nitrates, I and mean, that's pretty much yeah. the standard. And so, mm -hmm. um, Which again goes back to nitrogen and consciousness. So if mm -hmm. you're taking in nitrates, eat through all your foods and your meats, it affects your consciousness. Mm -hmm. yeah. You see? And so that's... And I've, I've noticed that too with myself and with uh, people I've worked with is that when you get these varieties that have been grown with high levels of nitrates and there's still lots of nitrate left in the, the end product, when it's consumed by someone either looking for a recreational kind of intoxication or a medical you know, application, there's a much... Uh, I've heard this time and time again that there's much more cloudiness and kind of almost like an intoxicating effect yeah. from the flower as opposed to things that were grown more naturally or biodynamically there's kind of more of like a more of a spiritual effect that people notice yeah. from the consumption and so it's much clearer um in basically yeah. that's kind of the, a big thing i've heard a lot is that the high nitrate plants have this kind of foggy uh intoxication they and then you tell me that, that perfect sense. yeah it does i mean just what we were talking about the sparklingness after yeah. the, the 501 yeah. the silica preparation today so let's stay on track on this one um so when you start up this operation i've got to get back to this the difference oh i remember you telling us last year in march that 
the soil, growing in the soil seems to have, number one, higher plant production, mm -hmm. and number two, better quality. Okay, so talk to that, please, because this is, we're talking to people to grow yeah, soil. Yeah. And maybe could you, could I mix that in? The Absolutely, street? go for it. Um, you know, say, I, I have a small, small vineyard, nine acres, it's certified, organic, in, 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 in biodynamic, and, and then I want to transition or the inner plant with him. Mm -hmm. how, how would I choose? How, where, where would I get those seeds and, and such? And well, there's lots of varieties uh, throughout Europe. I know uh, like uh, you can actually get German varieties, Swiss varieties, uh, Slovakian varieties. I'd imagine just uh, finding uh, a country in Europe that has the closest kind of climate oh. to your area and sourcing seeds from that uh, that region. Because um, it's usually, it's, it's, Europe's pretty open to, to hemp farming, so it's pretty easy to find uh, varieties that are cultivated in all types of climates. Um, and what about colony um, put in with the grapes, in this case, with the vineyard? As a companion plant? As a companion plant. It, I, I would think it could be done definitely. I'd say it's just a matter of how you want to grow it. Because that's the thing about cannabis is it's a pretty versatile plant in the sense of you can grow, you know, a foot to a two-foot plant, you know, and lots of them kind of like wheat, essentially, or you can almost grow them like trees. I mean, certain varieties you literally get 20, 30 feet tall and, you know, 15 feet wide. And so, you know, depending on... Uh, like yeah, exactly, with a trunk on it. <laughs> And so, obviously, you wouldn't want something like that, and you're going to keep you shading out. But, um, but yeah, I'd say you know, just small little you know, row crops definitely could be could be interplanted. Mm -hmm. I know I've, I've seen it listed as a companion plant for uh, cabbage because it helps uh, attract predators predators for predator insect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, what nutrients could it draw up of or the upper soils? Well, definitely, like I was saying, it accumulates silica, which yeah. is a great thing for, for biodynamics. Oh, it says that in Wikipedia, Hugh, mm -hmm. that, yeah. that yeah. cannabis yeah. is a silica it accumulator. It's not. It also accumulates the potash. Mm -hmm. And the Russian peasants used to grow them prior to planting potatoes because it prepared the soil with a lot of available potash mm -hmm. for the potatoes. Potatoes not being able to elaborate potash from the soil's reserves, but hemp could. Mm -hmm. So the hemp would activate the potash, and then the potatoes would be sure to get up. And the sulfur as well. That's a pretty good relationship with sulfur. Yes, it does. Yeah, definitely. Much more so than potatoes. Mm -hmm. um, but you find also that, that like pine trees, with all of their resins, and it's uh, in the processing of pine these days for paper that there's a lot of byproducts that are coming from the resin. Mm -hmm. And I was on a plane going to Holland, I think it was, and one, the lady that sat beside me was a representative of, maybe it was Gaylord or Crown Zellerbach or some company that was actually making products out of the resin. And so it just sounds like a very similar thing with, with hemp or cannabis, that you've got that same kind of uh, potassium and silica and resin 
Now let's let's go back to the question because this is Lou's question so perfectly placed because of who the audience is for this for these kind of podcasts. And so, what would you do as a grower to actually, without going out and planting a whole field of hemp? I mean, this is a brilliant idea. Interplant it with other plants. We don't have to hide it anymore as much you do in North Georgia still. They get you in the satellites and the planes and, the, you know. <laughs> but at least, so how can they, how can you plant it, one? How do you prepare the soil, two? What dynamic preparations will assist in getting, and are there different biodynamic preparations which will assist with developing the medicinal side of it as compared to the hemp? There's a lot of questions there. So how do we begin? You want to go ahead and yeah, start, um, and then they can... Well, uh, with the planting, too, it, it depends, again, the size, the, what you're going for in terms of the crop, because it's, it's called a photoperiod-dependent plant. So it, it, it starts flowering or it stays in vegetative growth depending on the, the length of the day. And so depending on what time of the year you plant can greatly dictate what size the plant is going to get and such. Um, as far as a, a mending goes, it's uh, you know it's a pretty heavy feeding plant. Um, it you know it'll it, it's kind of on that bridge of, of being a weed, I'd say, because it, it, it can thrive in soils with high levels of soluble nutrients, but it also is very great at adapting to the soil feed web and living in soils that have you know, relatively low levels of soluble nutrients. But it, uh, it can form great relationships with mycorrhiza and the actinomyces and the now, why do I hear we were just in Grass Valley with just massive growings everywhere, and, and everybody says, my God, they just destroy the land, the marijuana growers, or the hemp growers. It could be the... So how do we prevent that? I mean, we're into leaving yeah, the soil. Right. What's going on? Yeah, what's exactly. going on there? Well, a lot, kind of the standard, at least for the medical aspects, there's not really a whole lot of hemp farming that's been going on, because like I said, the, the main staple, at least especially in California, Oregon, has been the, the medical varieties. And so there's been this kind of backlash against hemp farming, and so it's not as prevalent as I would hope it would be. But um, so the, the majority of the practices are the, the high THC you know, medical farming groups, and pretty much the standard in, in that school of thought is you get where you get these fabric containers that were made for the tree tree nursery industry called smart pots, and basically these fabric containers. And they get these big, giant, you know, 400 gallon, 600 gallon pots, and they basically fill them up with these potting soils that are based on coconut choir or peat moss, and load it up with a bunch of amendments, and then basically fertigate heavily throughout the whole season. And so they're using all nitrogen, probably exactly mm. all, all lots of soluble fertilizers and all kinds of stuff. And so not only are they using ridiculous amounts of water because they're Soil is literally sitting, their, their quote-unquote soil is sitting in a fabric bag on top of the soil surface. So it just gets baked with the sun, and it's just, it just evaporates like crazy. And so you get a, a lot of water consumption, um, a heavy amount of soluble fertilizer use, which does often wind up into the groundwater and things and such like that. Um, and really, I think a huge issue, too, is because of the lack of regulation, there's been a lot of farmers farming in relatively pristine areas. You know, they're not going to agricultural lands that have already been cleared. They're kind of going out into the boonies, out in the uh -huh. pristine wilderness, and kind of clearing out a little area where they can do it. So mm -hmm. definitely 
the the way people have been going about it has been you know pretty harsh uh, environmentally, but um, it can be farmed in a way that really enhances the natural environment. I mean, it's a, it's a really remarkable plant in terms of providing a habitat for a pretty wide range of critters. Um, but really, I'd say the 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 biggest obstacle a lot of the farmers in this community had to come over is the thought that planting in the ground is insuperior to planting in these <laughs> potting soil type media. I mean, it's really, it's a lot of marketing. Like I was saying, you think the marketing in normal agriculture is bad. These people have literally been convinced that planting in the ground is going to leave them poor, broke, and lonely. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty absurd. Um, it, it definitely can be, you know. If you were establishing a farm mm -hmm. or going to do what Luke's asking, how would you begin? In the soil, obviously. We're in the soil. Yeah, say, I'd like next spring, I'd like to, to do 15 rows mm -hmm. of camp in between the great rows or every other row. Mm -hmm. Well, basically, uh, make sure you have good, good organic matter um, in the soil. Um, relatively you know, uh, decent levels of, it, it's a pretty, it uses a decent amount of phosphorus and a decent amount of calcium. Um, so I'd say make sure, you know, you've got good reserves of calcium in the soil. But, um, you know, basically just having a generally well-amended soil and, uh, you know, provide the right microbiology and especially the right energetic patterns. And it, it pretty much takes care of itself. I mean, they called it, you know, weed for a reason. And especially this mycorrhizal monocular. And that, yeah. that must really boost it a lot, like double or triple the growth and everything. The mycorrhizal that he, he sells, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, you have Rory's handling and mycorrhizal inoculant, but basically it's an all-purpose mycorrhizal inoculant. Mm -hmm. To use it on hemp is just one of its applications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's, it's a good sugar producer. So, it so now how will that affect the vines? How will it affect their biology? I mean, because you're talking about having a really... That's your topic, you. The soil really cooking in its biology first before. Mm -hmm. Does it strip the biology or does it use mm -hmm. it up or does it add to it? So, I mean, it adds to it, I'd say. I mean, it's a very good photosynthesizer and it produces lots of exudates, which will definitely yeah, find feeds a way. the soil food web really well then. Mm -hmm. So, it's a good, uh, it's a good way to ramp up the biological activity. Definitely. First, you have to, to get things going or cooking in the soil. You have to maximize your biomass production. It does that pretty well. Mm -hmm. And then the biomass production, if it's giving that off at its roots, as it exudates, then it'll maximize the digestion of food. Mm -hmm. So nitrogen fixation takes 10 units of sugar for every amino acid. So I would venture to say it's a plant that most endophytes that fix nitrogen. So it's got a lot to do with nitrogen consumption. Yeah, it's a, I mean, really, it could be used as a cover crop. It's pretty amazing considering the economic benefits in almost the... There you go, Luke. You're going to make a well, cover crop. Well, Luke, Luke <laughs> is, is, has got a friend who brings in the spent plugs from the CO2 extraction of the oil in the cannabis plant and that's part of his compost and it's a very high nitrate nitrogen input isn't it 
very powerful compound. It, it almost acts, acts like, like, like it's similar to like a calendar. Mm. Um, I mean, you, you get it red and it turns dewy and it has this kind of fresh, kind of a manure smell. Mm -hmm. And this is a yeah, This is how are they growing the marijuana that you're getting these? These are, this is, I would call it natural grown. Really? And that's one of the reasons this, oh, lucky. this person is doing it. He because he knows the the important and these plants are all grown in the ground. That's what I mean, yeah. And he they've done tests on and everything, and it's a really great outcome on the the the, and the tests and the, the 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 different compounds and so. In, but it's all in sort of the, the research phase, and mm -hmm. really. Yeah. But I'm hoping they're hoping to have a large. Or a source of certified biodynamic yeah. hemp that's um, that they re refined to the point where they really get what they need out of it. You know, so you, you grow it with an aim for a particular end product, mm -hmm. and you can. Craft your composts and soil types and other things to, to develop towards that end, <laughs> including the value-added product that you get to put in your compost. Yeah, I mean that's like another thing. I'm, I'm looking at and it actually composting quite well. Yeah, I just, I just made a new compost pile out there that's got quite a bit in it. It's very um, interesting to see how it turns out. And I'm wondering. What's it going to be like to use compost that has that product in it and give mm -hmm. it back to the plants? Mm -hmm. Yep. And they're not doing it. So now you're introducing this soil growing. So what is that? Because it's nice for people to know as they're thinking of setting up their multi-million dollar thing. We have a friend who's an American expat, lives in Tasmania, and he's been growing medical marijuana in his attic for as long as he's lived in Tasmania. And prepares a very effective tincture. Mm -hmm. I mean, he sent it to me for pain. It was like amazing, you know. Mm -hmm. So people are thinking about it, but he's growing in his attic. So you know, it's not exactly soil grown. He's a biodynamic based person, supposedly, but that's just because of the law. You know what I mean? Of course, when you walk in his house, you can smell it. But um, so what? What in, in in what is the percentage of increase of production based on soil growing? I mean, real soil growing. Mm -hmm. As opposed to hydroponically and these bags. Well, Jeez. for reference, the most I've ever seen someone pull using uh, soluble salt-based fertilizers uh, outdoors, you know, with a large plant, is about uh, about 15 pounds of dried cannabis per plant. Oh my God! Um, dried. Whereas <laughs> using biological methods, I've actually seen a 25 pound. Interesting. <clears throat> yep. And so it's they're all sold on. So I think the viable market is really in, influencing the consciousness of the growers out there. Definitely, it's it's just it's marketing. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they make it. You know, these people really care about their crops and they're really into it. And you know, there's kind of like you know they start with that seed kernel of truth. And you know, and a lot of these cannabis farmers are pretty well educated. Yeah, you know, and so. They get really into the science of it and 
you know, they get spun this whole tail by this fertilizer company of how their stuff's the best, and they extracted this particular rock from the, they flew all the way to the moon to get this rock, and, you know, you can't get it anywhere else, and so they're literally being told, that, you know, that they have to use this fertilizer to get the world's best yeah. stuff. And, right. and even a lot of the... Ours is the only one with ornaments, you know. Well, I went to the, you know, I heard a, a panel speak at, at last year's Eco Farm Conference. Mm -hmm. And the Scotchman, you know, because a lot of those products, they're not regulated in a way. And they're not required to, to put everything on the label that came on. And there's been a few groups doing some lab tests on those products. and. It's very deceiving, mm -hmm. and so a lot of these products aren't what they say. No, they're a little bit more than what they say, <laughs> like 10% uh, soluble phosphoric But there's also talking about this also elements <laughs> in that are, you don't, you wouldn't want. Oh, definitely not. I, I managed a hydroponic retail store for a while, and I was selling the fertilizers. And mm -hmm. Easily half my job was just explaining to the people what was actually in the bottle, because yeah. they they basically you know you, you have like one of these fertilizer companies that had fifteen different products and you read ten of them and they all say they're the same thing. It just says magnesium sulfate point five percent. It's like well, you know, they have completely different names and completely different claims of efficacy. And you know people be asking like, hey, well, why why am I paying a hundred dollars for this one and twenty dollars for this one? It says they're the same thing. And they're like, oh well, actually, there's this hormone in here and there's this compound in here and there's this and that and there's a lot of things that some of them actually they weren't legally allowed to put in them. Like uh, paclobutrazol is a, is a huge problem. It's a it's a, a hormone that's used in ornamental plants. It basically stops vertical growth. So basically, it, it, it kind of halts the plant prevents from getting in taller which in cannabis production can be a benefit because of the when they start when the plants start flowering they go through the stretch period and it's kind of undesirable for a lot of people and so they you know there are these flower promoting products sold on the market not not claiming anything about the paclobutrazol you know they'd add a little bit of kelp or just enough phosphorus where they were allowed to just put that on a little bit and that would be the only thing they made but you have these people using these hormones that were illegal to use on food crops. You know, they're only approved for ornamental shrubs and such. And so, and then, and then let alone the pesticides too, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, is that the spider mites are a huge issue with the, the cannabis plants because they're all using nitrates and, you know, they're, no, and they're growing in soil with no silica whatsoever. And that's why they might, that's why they come in, mm -hmm. to try to balance it out. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they're literally just ringing a dinner bell for these pests that, and then they wind up buying these pesticides that also aren't really regulated because it's all kind of under the table yeah. and it's gray area type yeah, it's situation. And, it's, uh, and there's things like there was, there was this one composting company that was getting chicken compost from this big chicken factory. And what they do in those factories sometimes, they'll get gas. Um, Chickens with this highly toxic gas, mm -hmm. thousands of them, and they'll just add, they'll just grind them up and add them to the compost. And then that those that chemical it then stays in the compost, mm -hmm. and it's starting to show up in the actual product, mm -hmm. and it's just 
joke. I'm wondering what research is being done on the effects in the public from these, because there's a lot of contaminated product out there right now. There's a lot of people being poisoned by some of this product. And I'm wondering, how are there any adequacy reports? There's no law, I mean, there's no, it's only, I mean, it's like taking, it's like the discussion about the quality of preparations. Yeah. I mean, Thank God for chromatographs, or at least for people that know how to interpret them, because then you can see a little bit more about the energetic qualities or what really is showing up. So maybe we can go into the discussion of what biodynamic preparations would support, would there be different preparations that would support different qualities of the plant coming forward. I know that, that, um, again. Uh, well, Dennis has to stop chirping. Yes, we'll go for it. Well, well, basically, biodynamics is a system of growing things of the highest quality with what you've got. So you've got the elements that are in the atmosphere, of which nitrogen is, is the biggest one, and it's 78% of the atmosphere is nitrogen and it's free. And you've also got uh, oxygen in the atmosphere, and there's about 18 or so percent of the atmosphere that's oxygen. The other, like, 3% is carbon dioxide and a variety of other things. But you've got moisture in the atmosphere, and that falls as rainfall. And you have sulfur compounds in the atmosphere, and they are also like coming into the plant from the atmosphere through rainfall. So your methyl sulfonates are vaporizing over the ocean and ending up in the rainfall on the land. So that carbon dioxide that's in the plant is actually coming from the atmosphere. And it's free, boy. It's there's plenty of it these days. So it's almost uh, an agricultural imperative to catch as much carbon dioxide as you can, just for the health of the planet. But there's all those things in the atmosphere, see, that are there for free. But then there's also the things in the soil, what the soil provides, and the soil provides your sand and your cation complex, your lime complex and your clay and your humus. So those are things that the atmosphere isn't providing, that the soil is providing. And every soil, regardless of where or what it is, has those four components, the sand, the lime complex, the clay, and the humus. Now, it's not that uncommon for one or another of those things to be depleted or or insufficient or or something that you need to boost or at least boost the activity of and biodynamics is about this this business of getting the sand and lime and clay and humus to work together in the most productive ways because after all this is what you've got uh, with biodynamics, you're trying to limit your outside inputs 
and to work from what nature gives you. And nature gives you sunshine for free. So you've got warmth and light. And then in the soil, on the earthly side of things, you've got chemistry and life that are taking place in the soil. So your humus is the basis of the soil's life. And the water component of the soil is the basis of the soil's chemistry. And that gets up into the plant in its interior. And then the warmth and light are working on the plant from the exterior. So in that sense, the plant is just a mound of soil that's raised up. So it's, it's being worked in a very dynamic way, as though the inside of the plant was the soil and the outside of the plant is the atmosphere, and the plant is working with the soil and the atmosphere in that way. So what you're looking at is the sun is drawing the plant upwards out of the earth in the summer. And so you want to accentuate these activities. What the, what the soil is drawing up out of the earth in the summer is basically what is at work in your preparation area, your home soil. And then what's working in the earth, that's what your root exudates feed at night, then that's basically what's going on with the horn manure. So the horn manure is working on the lime activity and the humus of the soil, and then your uh, your plants activity that the sun is is working with the sand component or silica component is also working with those forces that are working the soil's clay. So <clears throat> you've got the the between the sun and the earth, you've got the plant. And the plant is growing towards the sun and out of the earth. So we're looking at that, and everything is coming into bear on this from those planets that are beyond the sun and the earth, and those planets that are between the sun and the earth, and those planetary relationships are actually uh, there what's working in the plant. We don't see that because as human beings, we're not tuned into it. But the plant is very tuned into it. So whatever the aspects of the moon are, or Venus, or Mercury, or Jupiter are, then the plant is tuned into how that's working on that day and that night at that location. So to understand what's going on, your biodynamic preparation like your oak bark preparation is working as though it was the moon, and your metal preparation is working as though it was the sun. You want to enhance those aromatic, those terpenes, those very fine aromatic qualities of a plant like cannabis, then your, your metal preparation, the 504, which is working with the sun, is going to greatly enhance that. Mm -hmm. And you can support that. Your, your 502, your yarrow preparation, is working with the qualities of Venus, the activities that are related to Venus, and that basically are forming the soil through webs activity that feeds the plant. And it feeds the upward working capacity and flow and the sulfur 
that's working from the boundaries of the universe that are flowing upward into the plant. Your uh, fungal mycorrhizae are richest in your yarrow preparation. So you look at these different things, it's like these hydroponic growers of tomatoes in Holland experimented with using biodynamic preparations in their hydroponics to get calcium into the plant and found that using a combination of your chamomile and dandelion and your horn silica got the calcium into the plant like nothing they had ever experienced before, like twice as much calcium into the plant of anything they'd ever tried before. Huh. And, and that's not even the oak bark for the yeah. yeah, but but it was it was getting this into the plant. The, the biodynamic preparations are working like a resonating pattern. So that if you had a sheet of, of metal here on a stand and you scatter sand on it and take a tuning fork and strike the tuning fork and touch the plate with it, then the sand is going to dance into these patterns. It's going to be drawn into the pattern because of the nature of the pattern. And this is what we're doing with the plants when we're using biodynamic preparations, is we're setting up those conditions for that to happen in the plant. So when you're setting, you take the chamomile preparation that's working down at the root of the plant where the digestion is taking place around the plant, and then your dandelion preparation, which is working up here in the flowering process of the plant. And in between the root and the flower, the plant is transforming what it takes in as amino acids and lime into what it's making up here in the fruit of the plant. And you're, you're building this connection that it takes this and transforms it into the plant's essence and it produces the fruit. So if you're going to have a nice fat apple in the tree, then you use the chamomile and the dandelion preparation together to produce that fruit. And you use the 501, the horn silica, to get it in, to take, get the plant to take it up into the plant entirely. So, so this is what in, makes the system work. It's not. It's not that you put this hormone or this uh, form of soluble potassium or this or that uh, other like gimmicky hydroponic trick, none of which work like having the preparations in it. They've seen every hydroponic trick maybe in the world there in Holland and none of them work even half, more than half as well as the biodynamic preparations. Because the preparations are working as patterns that are drawing the substance into that activity. So I don't I don't really don't think there's any way that you come up with that in agriculture that would work better for producing the, either the medical or the industrial uh, components of what you're looking for in a plant like cannabis. Just grown in the soil. I mean, you take an artificial medium and it doesn't have the sand, doesn't have the clay, it doesn't have those things in the medium. So how is it going to work as well as the soil? 
It's like if you were building a football team, then you want to get the players with the talent and ability rather than trying to shoot them up with drugs to get them to play. Mm -hmm. okay. And uh, <laughs> it's hardly any different with the plant mm -hmm. that to trick the plant. I mean, it would be like the difference between some uh, Wall Street investor that is trying to make a lot of money out of the commodities market and Warren Buffett who is trying to build a portfolio of industries that work. I mean, Warren Buffett is one of the richest men in the world because he's built a portfolio of industries that work. Something that's needed, not something that's that's just a trick. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's like, hey, hey, this has this this needs to happen. So let me invest in this industry because it needs to happen. There's a big need for it, so it's going to be profitable. You know, on the other hand, if you invest in a bunch of industries that are just based on marketing, something else like that, then it's it's a whole different thing. If you looked at uh, setting up an investment scheme for carbon credits, which you don't know if you're ever going to get carbon credits, if it's ever going to be a worldwide scheme of selling carbon credits. It's different than from looking at catching carbon in order to build humus in your soil, in order to have a more profitable, more uh, low input, more productive kind of agriculture mm -hmm. uh, just yeah. to try to get carbon credits as a trick is is missing the point the point is making the system exactly. okay. 
Yeah, I think our moderator is taking a, a right. journey outside. She's just coming in. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't really see how there's anything you could do on the, you know, on the trick side of things to make uh, growing cannabis as effective as if you were growing it biodynamically. And a lot of times I tell people, you know, if you're going to go organic, go biodynamic because it gives you the toolbox to go organic. Yeah. If you just go organic and you think, oh, well, I'll go organic first and I'll learn how to do that, and then I might go biodynamic. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of those people fall by the wayside and throw up their hands and quit because they have so much trouble going organic because they don't have the tools or the understanding and that's what biodynamics gives you. It gives you the tools and the understanding of how to grow things organically. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have to be organic, you know? If you didn't want to pay for certification, if you thought it was too much trouble or, or whatever it might be. And it is trouble and it is. You have to put up with all the paperwork and the inspections and all the rest of this. And if you don't have time or the disposition for that, well, then you can just do it. You don't have to call it anything. You know, what really ought to be true is we ought to have... Are you turned this off already? No, I don't. Well, what really ought to happen is if you're going to put anything that's poisonous on food, it ought to be registered and labeled. That's what should happen. That's not what's happening, of course. You can put anything you want on food that's poisonous and never label it. And it's never regulated, really. And then if you're going to be, if you're going to claim your food is clean or whatever, then you have to prove it with certification. Which is just like, that's, you know, that's the world is upside down and backwards. Mm -hmm. but, but in reality, then working with nature is the easiest and best and most profitable prospects and doing it organically without any poisons. I mean, how could you put poisons on things and expect them to do better? That's an absurdity, you know? <laughs> what, a, what a weird idea. We're going to get more out of nature by having a war with nature. It's like, oh, are you kidding? Uh, Try and have a war with a woman anytime. And I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what you're getting into. So <laughs> it is. It's really absurd, stupid. You know, you to do it the natural way has got to be the easiest, the best, and the most profitable. And when you do that, then growing something like cannabis or corn, for that matter improves the soil. Corn was my most soil-improving crop in Blairsville. I could build more carbon into the soil and more life into the soil with corn than any other crop I grew, which didn't mean that I planted corn all by itself. I always planted beans and whatever weeds came along, if there were any weeds, if the corn didn't outgrow them, and, uh, and a variety of things in there so that I had the diversity. If you were an earthworm recycling my corn crop <laughs> and you didn't have any beans to eat, 
that would be like living on a rice diet with no beans. And, you know, what, what self-respecting earthworm would dance for joy to eat nothing but corn and no beans all day? Oh, come on. You know what, guys? <laughs> How are we on time? Do you have any more burning questions? Anybody? I'm just looking. Go ahead. I mean, maybe you want to finish kind of wrap it up, or any other questions? Well, I'm asking you, you're, you're the definitely farmer. the cannabis authority, are you? <laughs> well, wow, I've learned a lot. You have, I mean, is there any points you feel? Well, I, it's interesting. I was just looking mm -hmm. at this tincture that some lovely soul gave me, and so it has, on the sides, it has how much of percentage of... Okay. So you want to read that out that, and explain again what it is? Okay, so this tincture here, it says it's 0.047% THC and 0.3% THCA, which is a very good lesson to get into because, um, so THC, which we've established is the psychoactive cannabinoid, it's not psychoactive until it's been decarboxylated, which basically is a fancy way of saying that it's been heated up to a particular temperature to allow this particular little uh, oxygen to, 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 exactly to, uh, to, to, separate. to separate. And so... So THC, THC is not available until you, bought, until you smoke it? It's not psychoactive until it's heated up. And that's a huge misnomer in the medical community because in California, a lot of the medical legislation in the community was actually a lot of the recreational community that were just kind of guising their operations under medical. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of caused this whole uh, misconfusion or confusion about the fact that the, you know there, there was this whole saying to activate THC or to make it medically active, you have to heat it up to this particular you know, temperature and, and make, basically make it psychoactive. So there was this equivalent to the psychoactive THC being the only medicinal aspect of it. However, in the acid form, the non-psychoactive form, it's actually about 400 times more anti-inflammatory. And it actually, there's a lot more, depending on what medical ailment you're trying to treat, it can actually be much more effective medically um, in that non-psychoactive form. So now what, percent? keep going, because that's important letters for us all to know. And so, so yeah, this tincture here, it's at 0.047% THC and 0.3% THC. So it's about, uh, it's got a little... PCA uh, or? THCA, sorry, yeah. So it's about eight times richer in the PCA, the tetrahydrocannabinol acid. Exactly. And so this, it... If you heated, that basically just means that during the manufacturing of this, they didn't really heat it up too much. They might have heated up some of the starting material, which converted about half to you know, a percentage of the THC over. But um, for the most part, uh, this would be a more anti-inflammatory cancer rather than an, an anxiolytic or something. Keep going on, keep going on, keep going on. The other levels. And then there's also a CBD. Uh, it's 0.096% CBD and a 1% percent CBDA. It's the same thing with all the cannabinoids. They can all exist in this acid state or this... Uh, cannabinoids and then cannabinoid acids. acids exactly. And so, and, and again, there's so much room for research, really. You know, we're really just hitting the tip of the iceberg as far as this stuff goes. And um, kind of to come back to a, a question you had earlier about, um, you know, is there any research being done into these toxic things, you know, imparting their way into cannabis? And I'd say not nearly as much as there needs to be because these people are still, they're still trying to find out the toxicity of THC. You know, they're still scared of the cannabis itself, let alone, you know, what's going into the cannabis. And so, you know, getting past these dogmas in our mm -hmm. So as a consumer, because everything is driven by the consumer. Mm -hmm. In Australia, it's also driven by the chefs. 
<laughs> who informed the consumer. Mm -hmm. But what would the consumer, if I, if I, and, you know, I always skip it if somebody gave me this message. And then, um, but if I was a consumer and I wanted an anti-inflammatory as compared to an anti-cancer, or so what are the various properties that we look for? Well, um, there's a lot of overlap, really. Um, I'd say because the, the, the psychoactive form of the THC, the, the, the straight THC, is, seems to be the most cancer cell killing one, whereas the THCA is the more anti-inflammatory. Um, CBD by itself is a really powerful anti-inflammatory, but I believe CBDA is even more powerful. Um, but I, I believe actually the THCA is more powerful than, the, than either of the CBDs as an anti-inflammatory. And so that's kind of where, you know, you get, there's so much misnomer, you know, people don't know CBD is the medical one. How do they get this percentage? I mean, what chemical test, somebody had to come up with some test that could say this is such and such percentage it's a, of it, THC and THCA and... Uh, mass, mass spectrometry and, mass and, spectrometry. and gas chromatogram are the, the, the two standards. There's, they're kind of... Uh, writing out the standards as we speak. I kind of read new things every week where they're like, oh, we found, you know, for testing the terpenes, we're finding the gas chromatogram works better, works mm -hmm. for testing the cannabinoids. And where do you read these things? Um, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, but I mean, there's different forums and there's different, yeah, um, you know, I mean. Let's see, uh, uh, Robert Melamed out of the University of Colorado Springs is a great resource. He, he teaches a, a class out there called, I believe it's Medical Marijuana and Endocannabinoids. And he's a wealth of information about the endogenous cannabinoid system. And um, uh, um, I'm trying to think of any newsletters. Um, it kind of just kind of comes to me because where I'm at is kind of this haven for, you know, there's laboratories all, you know, the, the room I used to stay in is now a, a testing laboratory. So, you know, it's, it, I kind of am exposed to that information pretty regularly. Is that because that's just now expanding in Oregon? So suddenly... Definitely. Because yeah. Oregon has a pretty unique legislation because um, the whole state has legalized medical, recreational, and industrial across the whole state, yeah. which is Colorado is only, you know, in city, you know, it's only the city of Denver, and I believe Boulder, that allows recreational, whereas the state allows medical. And I think there's, I'm not sure what the industrial, I know they have some industrial out there, but it's not as blanket as Oregon's going. And then California has no recreational, it's only medical. Um, Washington, I believe, has all three, but it's, it's not as... Uh, Oregon's kind of the first to really open the floodgates, and you know it's it's kind of nice because they're they're almost kind of treating it like a crop. You know, it's it's very kind of down to earth, and they're you know they're it's not you know like I believe in Colorado they have to have a camera on every X amount of plant. You know, it's so heavily regulated because they still have the kind of reefer madness mindset that they you know, that they really want to keep it controlled before they let it you know, you know affect the children or whatever their their mindset is about that. But. Um, Wow. And I think I was actually, um, when I was a young adult, because I had chronic pain from the kyphosis in the spine that I experienced, I used to smoke marijuana. And, you know, that's not in my spiritual thing to be, but I know now that I was actually feeling pain. It was my way, because once I quit doing that, you know, suddenly I'm looking at coding and different painkillers, you know, and then these tinctures, and it's the anti-inflammatory, too, you know, it's like... Having any kind of chronic pain, there's inflammation. Yeah. It really, I mean, I've, I've heard lots of natural doctors say that really inflammation is the only disease. You know, you yes. have, there's just all these different names for where yeah. the inflammation is yeah. affecting your body, but yeah. really the inflammation But I had is... terminal cancer when I was 24 and in the lymph, which would be something, 
And, and so I just wonder. I don't know what was driving that train, but I do think it was curative. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, the endocannabinoid system is, is, the more I learn about it, the more I'm fascinated. I mean, it's, there's research starting to come out that are basically showing that it's pretty much an extension of your nervous system. You know, I've read things about how cannabinoids are the only compounds that can actually go against the, the, the neuron flow, you know, in your synapses, these, we fire these neurons, and the, the cannabinoids can actually go in the reverse direction oh, yeah. to provide feedback, essentially. And, um, and the, you know, they're... The, the more it comes out, the more we realize, you know, how important and crucial these these cannabinoids are to our biochemistry. Even if you've never consumed cannabis in your life, and so it's a uh, sky's the limit. So when you do consume it, does it keep you from actually? Because they say that about dopamine and serotonin. Mm -hmm. If you add that to your body, then your body doesn't uptake it naturally. I'd imagine there's room for that. I mean, if you, I mean, if you abused it, I'm sure long enough, I'm sure you could start to throw off your natural. Chemistry and production. My guru um, used to say everything is okay as long as you don't misuse it, overuse it, abuse it. And in my case, he said, about your talent, Shabri, underuse it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have to wrap this because we are driving from now towards Washington State. I God, I love you, Rory. I love you too. It's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> love you, Luke. Thank you. And I'm going to email you this so you can hear how wonderful he was. Oh, you're going to love it, man. We had a philosopher in our midst, a cosmologist, uh, switched on buddy there. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. This is Sovereign Bird, Quantum Agriculture, another great podcast. Over and out.